1: Welcome to Bears Over Beers. I'm Jeff Burkus, a writer for Windy City Gridiron, and I'm joined, as always, by E.J. Snyder. E.J., how are you doing tonight? I'm good. I'm. We are
2: post-Christmas holiday here, a uh, little bit before New Year's, and we have almost a whole new Bears mini-season to look at, which is not necessarily a place I think most of us expected to be after a long losing streak,
1: but uh, it's fun. How are you? Doing all right. You know, I was going to say that the playoffs continue this week, but there is a way for the Bears to get into the playoffs by losing anyway. It it all comes down to the Rams-Cardinals game. If the Cardinals lose, the Bears own a tiebreaker over them. Uh, Common opponents, I believe, is how they're breaking that tie. And so the Bears could back their way into the playoffs anyway, regardless of what happens at Week 17. So it's not quite a a do-or-die situation, but it is a win, and you are guaranteed to be in situation for the Bears. It is interesting and meaningful, uh, so that is fun. But let's do the beers before we get any further. Absolutely. I brought on one from uh, Rubens Brews. It is one of their
2: seasonals, and it is their Moorish IPA. Uh, <laughs> uh, their definition uh, of drink having a very pleasant taste and making you want more as in these Rubens Brews br- <laughs> IPAs are very Moorish aren't they yes I want Moorish uh, so it has nothing to do with the Moors of Spain um, 60 IBUs but it really doesn't sort of taste like that and 6.7 uh, alcohol by volume uh, but they go down very easily they got a bit of a um, almost an amber uh, shot to
1: them. Still an IPA, but uh, a little bit more of a multi-character. What do you have? Well, playing Green Bay, so I'm going to the Wisconsin Brewery of Nuclaris. And it is holiday season time, and so I am bringing on their Cranvick beer. Ooh! So, yeah, it's exciting to line up something odd. I couldn't find a peppermint. I, I had this in the fridge. A friend gave this to us uh, a couple weeks ago, but I did not get to the beer store yet, so I don't have a peppermint stout or anything fun like this. But this is very wintry, and so hopefully this satisfies those those listeners that have been begging to hear a holiday beer be brought on.
2: Yeah, I've got got some holiday beers, but I'm I'm just being a little bit hopeful here that uh, we will have few more podcasts of of meaning into this season that I'll be able to bring them on there. Uh but yeah, no shortage of great holiday and Christmas beers out right now. Um if you like the dark stouts, uh the old Yuletide, um, you know, deep beers where you drink one of them or two of them and you're quite full. There is a lot on the palate right now. So hopefully you're enjoying those on your shelves if you're a beer lover, but um yeah let's talk about uh let's talk about the happy thing first uh whooping the snot out of the jags and then we'll move on
1: yeah i will say uh new Glarus might be the only thing that i like out of wisconsin so
2: <laughs> well you would share a lot in common with our den master uh ken mitchell who uh love ken to death he is amazing and if you don't follow him on twitter you should um but Ken is a uh noted let's just say noted Bears backer in the fact that he not only is very pro Bears but also very anti Packers um and I think he would share
1: your sentiments on that. Yes, Ken leans in. So, let's talk about the Jags game. So, this one was fun. Maybe started the fun started maybe a little later than what we were hoping for. Uh, the final score was 41-17. to 17. The Jags are a team that we talked about last week. They're not really at all interested in winning a lot of games this year. That's at least how they were built coming into this year. But the Jags did something kind of fun in this game in that they secured the number one overall pick and the right to pick Trevor Lawrence, assuming he comes out. So the Jags fans are very happy in this world. This one started a little slow for the Bears. It was a 10-10 tie Going into half, Carlos Santos broke that tie right as time expired in the first half. So the Bears did take a lead into the half. They came out, and, well, those third quarter Bears, you know, it's just their hot quarter. Okay, yeah, hasn't been until this week. But they scored three touchdowns in the third quarter and then added a fourth touchdown early in the fourth quarter. So the the route was on when they came out of the tunnel for the second half. So that's pretty cool. The stats in this one I think are interesting and worth noting. Trubisky had a nice line, 24 of 35 for 265, two touchdowns and a, and a pretty bad interception. But again, overall, pretty good stat line. Um, Montgomery, 23 carries for 95 yards and a touchdown. He goes over 1,000 yards on the season. He's actually only one of five running backs in the league right now with over 1,000 yards rushing, which is kind of crazy but just shows you how much of a passing league this is uh the the rushing title really isn't up for grabs derrick henry looks like he's got that one uh, sewn up uh for a second straight year dalvin cook is right behind him uh in second place but really only five backs over a thousand yards but your chicago bears have one of them in david montgomery artavis pierce oregon state beaver he got two carries looked good <laughs> looked like he was shot out of a cannon he got 26 yards on those two carries one of them ended in the end zone and then our guy alan robinson uh hefty 10 catches for 103 yards on 13 targets that put him at the 100 reception mark which is only the fourth bear in history to do that brandon marshall did it twice Marty Booker did it once, and then Matt Forte did it with that 102-catch season where he briefly held most catches in a season by a running back. That was uh, broken by Christian McCaffrey last year or the year before. I think it was last year. And so only the fourth bear to do it, only the fifth time overall in franchise history. He needs just three catches to move ahead of Forte, and he'll have the second-most receptions in a single season In Chicago Bears franchise history, he, I don't believe, has much of a chance of catching Brandon Marshall's uh, team record, which is 118. If he got 19 catches in this game, I feel like that would be (laughs) some sort of record. I have no idea. it'd It'd be darn close to a record if it's not. Yeah.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It reminds me of uh, Terrell Owens going off against the Bears a million years ago. It seems like uh, getting a great many catches. But, no, great stats out of Robinson. He's had a tremendous season. Uh, Obviously, if the quarterbacking had been steady, or let's just say the offense had been steady throughout the year, he might be looking at that Marshall record. But there there were a lot of halves this year I can think of. Not necessarily games, but... A lot of halves where the Bears kind of forgot that Allen Robinson was on the field. A lot of first halves in general where they just didn't target him strongly until the second half, and then they kind of leaned on him over and over again. So if there'd been a bit more balance there, I feel like he could have had that record. But he's made uh, he's made do with what's been offered up in this offense for him and made the most of those targets. Anybody that thinks otherwise really needs to look around the rest of the league and, and see what else is out there. Allen Robinson is in the top tier of receivers in this league. He is an alpha. He's a true number one. Um, We've certainly been a stand of him here on the podcast and continue to be. um, We hope he continues to be a bear, but that's a story for another day. Um, Montgomery is tremendous. He has exploded over the past two or three games. It is definitely an uptick in his production and his efficiency. Now, obviously, as the offensive line goes, so so goes the running game, and the offensive line has not been tremendous. They have stabilized of late, and Montgomery is doing exactly what we predicted uh, earlier in the season. Look, if you give this guy some holes, he's going to have production. He's going to run over some people. He's going to run away from a lot of people, uh, has a high broken tackle rate. Um, if you look at backs around the NFL and we're starting to see that production that we really hoped for when he was drafted because he's got a stable line in front of him and a decent set of offensive calls that don't just have him plunging into the middle. I will say in the first half, I put out a tweet that started a small firestorm and I said, I think Nagy's calling plays again because the Bears offense kind of has that hopelessness back to it. Um, and that was really because they were running Montgomery into the middle of the line and there were several runs in the first half that I call, you know, runs to the middle or runs to nowhere, where Montgomery never really had a chance. He ran into somebody immediately. There was no hole. It it looked like a wasted down, and we really hadn't seen that over the past three weeks. The Bears offense had gotten away from that, so I just sort of supposed on Twitter that Nagy might be dabbling in play calling again, And, and that started a very interesting debate among followers and Bears watchers, but um second half whole different story uh even if it was laser calling those plays and he just hit a bit of a hiccup in the first half they hit their stride in the second half uh blew out a team that is uh, very bad that is trying to tank that kept two of its best offensive weapons on the sideline um for the day and uh, so that's what you should do as a bear on the day but also let's not take uh too much stature from that the bears blew out the jags the jags are indeed the holders of the number one pick that's all sewn up so i don't think it means the bears are amazing but they absolutely did what they should have done in this game um put on a really good number of points and looked pretty good doing it especially in the second half
1: let me put you on the spot a little bit here and just talk about jacksonville before we focus more on the bears but jacksonville's got it locked up. They got the number one pick locked up. Trevor Lawrence is one of those guys that everybody talks about being the best prospect at quarterback that they've seen probably since Andrew Luck. And, you know, I've heard maybe people say that he's even better than Andrew Luck coming out. Uh, Obviously, you'll make your opinion as you see more football, but what do you think of his chances of taking a short drive south from uh, Clemson down to Jacksonville and hitting the ground running in that Jaguars offense.
2: Um, That's a really interesting question. We'll surely be talking about this as we lead into draft season, but I think those chances are really good. The bottom line is if Trevor Lawrence declares, if he comes out and Jacksonville holds the number one pick, you're going to have to blow them off the map with a package of probably uh, players, Picks and you know, if money could trade hands like it does in the NBA, that too, right? You're gonna have to give a king's ransom for them to move off of Trevor Lawrence because they have nobody in the pipeline at quarterback right now that is in any way a substantive. I like Gardner Minshew as a gamer, I think he's a decent mid tier quarterback. I think he would be a tremendous backup who can win you some games. But he is not the guy you want to march out there against top-tier talent and expect your team to win. Now, they need a couple of other pieces, but they have a lot of exciting pieces on offense. They have a really decent wide receiver core. James Robinson has obviously been a revelation at running back. Their offensive line needs help, but is not helpless as it stands. So they need some reinforcements there, but they can get those if you're jacksonville uh we're gonna have to assume that they clean out the coaching staff they've already cleaned out the gm they're interviewing for that position right now jacksonville has to be the sort of most desirable place to be uh as a gm in the nfl right now because you've got the number one overall pick you've got a team that doesn't suck talent wise it certainly needs help but you've got guys on both sides of the ball it's not helpless. You're not rebuilding from a completely raised foundation. Uh, and you've got cap space. You you have everything you would want to build as a GM. They're right at that spot where if you get the quarterback and start assembling talent around them, they could be up and running at a very high level within a couple of years. They could, you know, this next season, maybe, but the season after, absolutely. And that's an envious spot to be. There are a lot of GM. Openings right now that don't have that amount of flexibility either in the draft or the salary cap, and Jacksonville
1: has both. I'm hopeful for them. I think that they're kind of an interesting franchise. They have been down in the dumps for a long time. They had that surge, you know, basically bought through free agency, and then they crashed and burned. And then you had a lot of guys wanting to leave. And so I'm kind of curious if he can turn it around. I, I, where is he from originally? Do you know that off the top of your head? I know. Clemson is really pretty close to Jacksonville.
2: Uh, oh, Trevor Lawrence? Yeah, Lawrence. I think he was a California kid. Uh, oh, okay. I could All be right. wrong about that, but uh, I believe he was a, a California high schooler. Um, uh, highly recruited, obviously. The, the, I believe the top recruit in the entire country, uh, if you believe in the star system or the ranking system. Highly sought after. Had offers from you know every pedigree school you can think of. Um, Ended up choosing Clemson and uh, was a phenom. He's one of those guys that was a phenom in high school, uh, was a phenom as a recruit, and has continued that level of success. There's a lot of those guys that, um, for whatever reason, don't sort of deliver on that promise in college. And that's not the end of their career, but it's the end of that sort of bright, shining star at the top level. And Trevor Lawrence is one of those guys that was at the top in the high school rankings, at the top of the recruiting rankings. Uh, at the top you know as soon as he got to a major school and has continued to stay there and is now really the apple of everybody's eye in the nfl draft um there are not that many of those guys and that's where you start getting comparisons to guys like uh andrew luck and uh, lawrence is a really interesting guy he's not andrew luck but he is a guy that could absolutely take a franchise like jacksonville that has some pieces and make them look a lot better. Think Justin Herbert um in terms of like the LA Chargers receiving core, right? Have Keenan Allen who is tremendous, have Mike Williams who's a good deep ball threat. And then they've got a lot of guys you probably haven't heard of before this year. And Justin Herbert goes in there and sets the rookie TD record just absolutely tearing the ball down the field. Lawrence is a guy like that. You're going to hear a lot more out of guys in the sort of second and third tier of the Jacksonville receiving core if Trevor Lawrence ends up slinging the rock for them.
1: So I looked it up. Lawrence was born in Knoxville, Tennessee, and he went to high school in Georgia. Oh, my bad. And so then he goes to Clemson. So. I, this is a guy that regionally... I mean, obviously, Nash is going to be a big deal wherever he goes, but he's already got a, probably a huge following regionally, and then he gets to stay in that region. I I don't know. I just think that's pretty cool and that's exciting for him. I know it's not bear stuff, and and, and a good thing is we only have to see him every, once every four years <laughs> because if he turns out to be as good as everybody thinks he is, we don't want to be facing this guy more than that once every four years. So uh, good good that he's in the AFC all things go according to what everybody thinks they will. He'll probably be taken by Jacksonville. So that's fun stuff. You're going to be talking about that stuff a ton in the offseason, but let's focus back on the Bears. So 41 points, they score 30 or more. The Bears score 30 or more points for the four straight game. First time that's happened since 1965, which was rookie year for Gale Sears. I assume that probably had a little something to do with that. Maybe. So that's a long time ago. I mean, I it's uh, well before my time on this planet, uh, 1965. And so anytime you do something that hasn't been done in my lifetime and your lifetime, uh, that's interesting. Uh, and so uh, what the heck is going on? What is actually working for this offense right now? The answer is almost everything. It's,
2: it's a near-perfect storm in terms of – Many of the things we talked about, but uh, that does not that's not the notable fact that we talked about them. These are things that, if you observe the offense not functioning early on in the year, uh, got called out as uh, detriments or things that were killing drives, killing plays, uh, causing a lack of offensive efficiency, and that was all over the place. It was not just the offensive line. It certainly started there. Uh, We've talked at length about Rashard Coward and the fact that he was single-handedly killing a lot of plays, both run and pass. Um, But uh, you talk about quarterback execution, you talk about play call within situation, which is a coaching thing, in terms of the offensive play caller being able to string together plays that are likely to work. We heard several sources say, "Look, they're calling a lot of plays that are dead in the water. They don't, they don't work at the play call. Forget once we get to try and executing them." So it was a stack of things, it was all things, and this is the way teams are, and this is why football is the ultimate team sport, is it is having to have all things work together well to get that excellent result. You've gotta have good personnel, you've got to have them aligned in the right place you've got to have the right calls at the right time and then when it comes down to it the whistle blows you've got to have good execution from those athletes who are on the field and they do have to do it together you know running back misses a blitz protection quarterback gets killed doesn't matter how good your pass route was so all of those things were going wrong in the early season and as a result they they had no identity we talked about this they couldn't run the ball effectively when they needed to they couldn't you know create separation in the passing game generally or hit those receivers when they did it was always something falling short uh, many of those changes have occurred. They went to Nick Foles. They ended up going back to Mitchell Trubisky. Obviously, Coward gets blown out of the lineup. They settle on an offensive line that seems to be, well, It doesn't seem to be, is flat out working much better than the line was early in the year. And that's the basis of everything. It gives the quarterback time, gives the running back holes. All of those things come from that cohesiveness, especially in the center of the offensive line. Getting Mustafer to center, Bars at guard, Whitehair at the other guard seems to be the stabilization element that the Bears have needed over the last month to really start to be able to execute. Bill Lazor's play calling has been um, more varied. And more timely, I'll say he's hit more of the right notes at the right time to allow the Bears to shine with the talent they have on the field, because the Bears are not a talentless team. They have talent in the receiver core. David Montgomery, obviously very talented. It's just they weren't being able to showcase that as a team. And uh, Cole Komet right who's that link sort of between running back and wide receiver that's tight end as a position he needs to block for the running plays he needs to go out in the pass pattern and catch and run with a little bit of authority he showed more of both of those things and that sort of tied the bow on top and let the let the bears be the bears that we've seen over the last month and the schedule's been very favorable <laughs> they <laughs> yeah, have played they have played four teams that are among the bottom 10 in You know, defensive DVOA in a row, and so the combination is that perfect storm: the offense and the play calling coming together, the personnel stabilizing, and playing a bunch of folks that don't play great defensive football in a row. Now, that's about to change.
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I want to talk about a couple things. One, Rich Gannon actually called out Bill Lazor and said that he really liked, Rich Gannon was doing the color for this game, and he said, I really like Bill Lazor because he's not predictable And I, in his play calling. And I thought, okay, well, that's really, I, I like Rich Gannon. Rich Gannon's a was a very smart quarterback, uh, won an MVP very late in his career, being a very cerebral quarterback. I found it to be kind of a funny comment because I, I don't know how much work Rich Gannon's doing watching game film every week, but maybe he is. I thought, well, that's kind of cool. And then there was the other Rich Gannon comment, which you don't hear very often, particularly from a color guy. But he sort of in the moment kind of called out Trubisky for that one mistake in the end zone. And he called it a high school mistake. Mm -hmm. And it was. But you just don't hear it very often from, uh, you know, on a broadcast like that. You might hear it on the radio or maybe even not that. Uh, and I was a little bit surprised by Gannon's uh, truthfulness in the Candor. Moment. candor. Yeah. And, and I wondered because uh, we haven't talked about this. I, I wondered what you thought what went through your mind when you heard Gannon say both of those things? Uh,
2: well, uh, funny thing, uh, I was the way I was watching it, I wasn't listening to the broadcast audio. So ah, I, had okay. the, I had the broadcast video. So I heard about those comments post game. Uh, certainly the one about it was a high school mistake. Um, I hadn't heard the laser comment before. It doesn't surprise me, uh, and I'll address that one first. Uh, I saw a really interesting chart today. Somebody posted it on Twitter, uh, and they were talking about the um, uh, preponderance of run versus pass per team in the red zone. Which teams lean heavily on the run in the red zone, and which teams lean more heavily more heavily on the pass. And it was a pretty standard distribution graph. All 32 teams, obviously, about 16 of them lean more towards the run. About 16 of them lean more towards the pass. And uh, obviously, the ones that the outliers uh, sort of balanced out, which was kind of interesting. Um, but the team at the middle, the exact middle that didn't lean more on the run or the pass, surprised me. Yeah, and it was the Bears. Yeah. It was the Bears. The Bears were the linchpin in that graph. They were the zero. They were the middle team, and they didn't have a favorability towards run or pass in the red zone. That's cool. Like, when we talk about tendency and tendency breaker, if you're looking at one of those four or five teams on that graph that always run in the red zone, you're kind of keying towards that as a defensive team. Like, they are most likely to do this. This is what they've done. We go back to that identity statement this is their identity when they get here the bears don't have one of those they literally statistically analytically don't have one of those they are equally likely to run or pass in the red zone that's pretty cool the bears are usually not in the middle of graphs that we see they are at one end or the other we could be talking about offense or defense we could be talking about a lot of things but they are very rarely dead center and the bears were literally the dead center team uh, in that graph. So that was pretty interesting. The high school comment. Yeah, it was a terrible interception. Um, uh, Laurie Fitzpatrick, who's an analyst who, uh, breaks down Jaguars film that I follow on Twitter, uh, said, you know, look, this was a good break by showbert Uh, he, he definitely did a good thing with the ball that got thrown up there and Trubisky probably shouldn't have thrown it. <laughs> Like even as an quote unquote enemy animal analyst, she was like, yeah, nah, this was this was bad. And if you go back and and look at that, it's not one of those things where like, oh, he saw the window and it closed because tried to fit it in. A great athletic play. No, there were literally three guys in pretty close proximity when he was sizing up to throw. So that's triple coverage and if you're throwing it into triple coverage, you better be Pat Mahomes. And is a lot of things, but he's not Pat Mahomes. And he didn't even make a Mahomes-like throw. Like, he ran around a lot. It was extremely late in the play. And honest to God, nine times out of ten, the best play there is just chuck it out of bounds, put it in the third row, live to fight another day, whatever you want to say. But he thought, for some reason... Hey, I'll lob this up where there's three guys and take a chance. Now, if there's no time left on the clock and you need a touchdown, yeah, you don't throw it in the third row. You throw it to that guy and you hope that he makes the 10% likely catch. This was not that situation. You need to understand situational football and say, look, I've been running around for almost five seconds now. I went almost all the way left. I rotated back. Now I'm almost all the way right. I'm running out of real estate. That guy's triple covered. Eh, I'm just going to give this one up. I'm just going to throw it away, not take the sack, and we'll do whatever, whether that's another shot, field goal, touchdown, whatever. doesn't matter. But it was a terrible throw, and he got what he deserved. He threw it into triple coverage, and Joe Schober picked him off.
1: Yeah, and the context of that is that I, I believe they were in the red zone. If they weren't in the red zone, they were darn close to it. It's a tie football game, still in the first half, and it was first and ten. <laughs>
2: You just like, don't throw the ball. like no, you, don't you don't throw the ball to there. You throw the
1: ball anywhere else. If you want yeah, to throw, throw it out it up, of bounds, tuck it and run, whatever. If, so. if there's
2: some guy that's single-covered that you think can elevate and get that ball, I might, and again, I stress and underline, double underline, might throw the ball if you thought you had a favorable look. But that guy in the corner with three people floating close to him that late in the play, terrible decision.
1: No, nothing about it was good. And so I, I think when we're talking about what's working, there are things that aren't working. Obviously, you, you know that you're going to have moments like that with Trubisky, and that is what it is. He's not the only quarterback in the league that makes mistakes. Uh, some of them you were like, "What? How, how did you possibly get there? But that is what it is. He played within himself for the most part. But there's going to be a ceiling on this offense that, is just what it is and when you play a better defense or when you're playing from behind and you have to be more predictable and you're giving the defense an opportunity to tee off that's when you start to get into more predictable situations and more predictable outcomes really and so that's that's what we're talking about with playing four defenses that by all the advanced metrics and all the simple metrics they're not very good defenses that's important context to understand And now you're going into Green Bay, who they're not a killer defense by any stretch of the imagination, but they're not bad. They're they're an average defense, and they're buoyed by the fact that they've got a great offense on the other side. So I think that it'll be an interesting wake-up call for this football team to go into – well, they're going into Chicago, but to go into this game against Green Bay – and see what they can do against a team that has real title aspirations. So I think a lot of things are working. I think there's a lot of good things. I still think we haven't seen deep ball accuracy, for instance. Uh, but overall, the offense, I mean, geez, you really can't complain about taking care of business and scoring 30 or more points in four straight games. But there is a potential wake-up call coming.
2: Yeah, absolutely. There's a couple of things you mentioned there that are worth mentioning. Um, Even against these bottom-feeding defenses, the last four that the Bears have played, Trubisky's metrics have been largely similar uh, to what they were earlier in his career, especially considering deep ball metrics. He's down in the 30s in terms of his ranking in the NFL in these last four games with deep ball accuracy and efficiency against bottom feeding defenses and now we're going to see a defense with jerry alexander and darnell savage who are not very average against the pass those two guys are above average against the pass and so i don't see that deep ball efficiency or accuracy sort of increasing against a a bettered opponent who is motivated so you're right we're going to see sort of brass tacks because it's fun to beat up on the bottom feeders and you absolutely should do it And no discredit to the Bears for racking up points when they could and coming away with victories. Those, uh, as we've often said on this podcast, are W's. Nobody's going to go back and say, well, they weren't very good, so it's only half a W. right? It's it's a full win in the books, and it always will be. We're going to see a very different animal uh, this weekend as the Bears go in against the Packers with some real talent on the defensive side of the ball. Again, as an overall defense, you're right. They're not world beaters, um, but they're not. The last four in terms of what the Bears have faced. It is a step up in competition. Uh, This team definitely has title aspirations and rightfully so. They're backed by a tremendous offense. We haven't yet talked about the Bears defense slipping up a little bit, but we'll do that uh, a little bit when we get into the Packers preview.
1: Well, why don't we do that? Why don't we pause real quick and then we'll talk about playoff implications, the two games that we are all going to have our eyes on this weekend. Uh, obviously the Bears game and that Cardinals game so stick with us and we'll be right back all right DJ so the Bears win and they're in or they can back their way into the playoffs at eight and eight if the Cardinals just lose to the Rams so which one do you want to start with <laughs> um they're
2: both interesting i actually don't have a preference uh we need to talk about them both because obviously the bears fortunes hinge on both of these games
1: um but i don't know if you've got a preference i'm happy to follow your lead on this one all right so here's the thing i'm not very hopeful about either one (laughs) and so why don't we start with the cardinals and the Rams? So why I'm not particularly hopeful about this Cardinals-Rams game is that the Cardinals absolutely have to win to get in. Obviously, they're, they're competing against the Bears. Now, there is a scenario where the Rams could lose, and if the Bears win, the Rams are actually out of the playoffs. And so the Rams are going to be certainly motivated to try to win to get into this. The problem is Jared Goff is not going to play in this game. He broke his thumb on a helmet uh, following through on a throw in their last game, so Jared Goff is not going to be playing quarterback. I believe they're going to be missing Cooper Cup as well, and so they're down a lot of skill players. And Cam Akers, I believe, is also out. And so you've got a lot of offensive firepower on the Rams is not going to be. They're not going to be available. You're going to be in a backup quarterback situation. On the other side, the Cardinals coming off a pretty surprising loss. I, my mom called me out for talking bad about C.J. Beathard. I didn't think I was talking bad about C.J. Beathard, <laughs> but don't say anything <laughs> negative about Hawkeyes. Oh,
2: man, uh, that is the about. Iowa bias coming through. That's tremendous.
1: All I said was he is the third-string quarterback, but I got I got an earful. So, uh, Mia culpa to C.J. Beathard, he proved me wrong. And the Cardinals, you know, they need to win this, but Kyler Murray took a hit at the end of that game, and he – did not look like he was very healthy, and he's been battling stuff all year. And so you wonder about Kyler Murray's health as well. But if Kyler Murray is healthy enough to play in this game, you have to believe that the Cardinals are going to be somewhat favored to be able to pull that one out. And so I think that this game comes down to whether or not Kyler Murray plays. I think that's the number one thing. And if he doesn't, I will feel a lot better about the Rams' chances of knocking out the Cardinals.
2: Yeah, this is a fascinating game because if you look at it sort of with the preseason depth charts, uh it would be a pretty good game and I would give the Cardinals a decent chance to win, but I would also probably favor the Rams just in sort of strength of overall roster. Um given how the seasons have gone for both, everybody in the entire league is playing with something, dealing with something at this point, dealing with injuries, dealing with COVID. Um, The Cardinals have had a bit of a slide in terms of Cliff Kingsbury's calling the games. Like you said, Kyler has been struggling against a shoulder injury since pretty early on in the season. That was pretty clear. Uh, One of the primetime games, he was on the sideline, like constantly working that thing, trying to keep it warm. They're putting heating pads under his shoulder pads. You could tell his shoulder has not been right for some time. And then he takes an additional hit this last week comes up looking not very good they talk about his status being questionable i think he'll play the question is how much is left in a guy like kyler who's been pretty beat up he runs a lot he takes his hits um but if he's running at his uh anywhere near his regular bent uh he gives the cardinals a chance because there is not a runner in this league like kyler murray he is electric when he takes off with the ball but If he's playing at, say, 60% and just gutting it out and isn't very mobile, that tips the favor pretty much towards the Rams. Now, the Rams have their very own issues. Jared Goff, Thumb messed it up broke it and probably tore something as well uh had surgery to fix it but he's definitely not going to be throwing the ball on sunday that leaves the rams with john wolford from wake forest uh via the arizona Hotshots in the aaf where he performed very very well and a lot of people are quite um encouraged about his chances with a lot of targets but then you talk about the targets maybe no cooper cup uh not only is cam Akers dealing with a high ankle sprain but darrell henderson went on ir as well so you're down to malcolm brown who's again a very good running back but not a lot of backup behind him the receiving core is depleted you're on your backup quarterback it's just not the same rams team that McVay has at his disposal there are plenty of weapons there tyler higby had a big game earlier in the year had three touchdowns like mcveigh can create offensive production so it's kind of a fascinating push and we were talking about this before we started the podcast that i bet the odds makers just hate this game with a white hot passion because there is it's very difficult to determine a sort of solid standing going into it and saying oh we're definitely leaning x team's way so many variables uh that are new for both teams that you haven't seen before coming together in same place at the same time and they both have things on the line like you said if the rams lose they could possibly lose their way out of the playoffs um if the cardinals lose look the bears are going to the playoffs so there's motivation there's a ton of storylines and both teams are uh, they've been through the wars, man. They're both beat up, so it'll be really interesting to see who rises with what's left on the field come Sunday.
1: Yeah, as we sit here on Tuesday night, I believe that if I had to make a pick, I would say that the Cardinals are probably going to prevail just because Kyler Murray being the difference. But if, like you say, he's gutting it out, that's actually not that good of Uh, A quarterback option to be to be quite fair I've watched them play a number of games and when he's hurt he's (laughs) he's just not particularly effective and you almost wonder if you just go with the backup because you might get a predictable level of of output if if Murray really is hurting and you don't necessarily want to put him in further danger so I I don't know like I, I think the Rams defense is probably the best unit in this game and so part of me wants to just say the Rams can probably take care of business, but they're definitely hurting on the other side. So it could be a very fascinating game. I guess right now I'm just thinking, you know, 55-60% that the that the Cardinals win this one.
2: I, I might lean the other way because, again, that Rams defense, we didn't talk about that. We talked about both offenses. The cardinals defense is okay uh, but they're also facing a bunch of injury issues and they're a couple of their leading sack threats uh they just put dennis gardek on ir um so their ability to pressure Wolford is going to be reduced and look you've still got aaron donald uh leonard floyd and a host of other guys on that Rams defensive line, if they if they get to Kyler once or twice early and really hit him, Kyler's not a big guy, and Aaron Donald's extremely powerful. He will get to the quarterback at least once in this game. And if you lay a good lick on Murray, which is tough to do when he's healthy because he is very good at twisting away from contact and not taking dead shots, but if he is limited in mobility and somebody like Aaron Donald or even Leonard Floyd, who outweighs him by a bunch – gets a good lick on him early, it could absolutely force them into the backup role. And if that happens, it's uh, my my chips go in the Rams corner at that point.
1: Yeah. I, I hope you're right. I think it would be fun to get a Bears playoff game. But let's talk about that. Let's talk about the other game, Bears-Packers. And why do I have this terrible feeling nodding up in my stomach About week seventeen, playing the Packers with a playoff spot on the line. Can you? Is there any reason why I should have this anxiety that I'm that I'm feeling? Oh
2: yeah, there's absolutely a reason, and his name is Aaron Rodgers. Um, Oh yeah, that guy. Yeah, no. If he's playing, forget it. Like uh, we talked about, you know. Oh, Kyler's the difference for the Cardinals. If Aaron Rodgers is playing, like really playing for the Packers, not just you know. Look at this point. You're either going to play him, start him and play him, and or you're going to sit him. The Packers are clearly not in a position to sit him, and he's going to be playing. If he's playing, he's not going to be kid-gloving the Bears. He's going to be doing the other thing that we're very used to him doing. And we're talking very probably about the NFL MVP,
1: yep.
2: right? This is not a quarterback who's playing well, uh, a guy like Ryan Tannehill who's supporting his team and and definitely on the positive side of DVOA. This is the NFL MVP uh, incarnate. Like this is the guy that is most likely going to win that award and rightfully so. We're talking about a guy 50 touchdowns, right? That's, you know, a guy like Robert Tonyan who would be a backup Backup tight end on any other team has ten touchdowns this year <laughs> because of Aaron Rodgers, right? right? If Aaron Rodgers is in this game, like all bets are off. I don't care about the Packers' defense. I don't care about the Bears' defense. I care about Aaron Rodgers going. Well, I'm playing. I might as well play like I normally do, and I got this other. Oh yeah, Devontae Adams. He's still healthy. I'm, I'm going to take my preternatural connection with him and throw a couple touchdowns. And at that point, you're really going to put the Bears under pressure. Do I think that despite their scoring output against some botter feeders for the last month, that they're going to be able to sort of hang in a firefight with the Packers? Not even close.
1: You know, it was second or third game uh, or maybe fourth game. Bears were undefeated still. And I was on the live stream. And there was a question about, oh, you know, what do you feel about this division? Is it a two team race? And I'm like, I look, I, I, I like the bears, but it's a it's not a race. If, if Aaron Rodgers is truly in fire (laughs) breathing dragon mode, which is what I like to refer to it as it's over. Like he's got enough around him and he's on fire that there's just, there's no chance right now. This is a team that's going to be the number one seed He's gonna he, if he doesn't win the MVP it's because they're gonna give it to Mahomes. But I I think right now the narrative is favoring Rogers and his you know re-emergence as as a great quarterback because he did have a couple of average years over the last few years. And so right now this Bears team is not built to take down dragons. That's that's I think the point. they they can be competitive. With a lot of teams in the league, they can blow out the bad teams, which is what we've seen over the last few weeks. But can they really take down the monster when they're running on all cylinders? And I just I just don't see it. And that, So that's why I'm fearing this game. I don't want to be negative. I don't want to say there's no chance. Of course there's a chance. But the Bears are going to have to put together a perfect game. They're going to have to have a great game plan. They're going to have to have learned things over the last few weeks that the Packers have put on film and they're going to have to attack it and they're going to have to get the ball to bounce in their way more than a few times that's that's what's going to have to happen here they're going to have to play a perfect game and they're going to have to catch the Packers maybe looking ahead to thinking about that bye week
2: yeah absolutely and we're gonna have to see some things out of the bears that we haven't seen now we have seen offensive production we've seen much better offensive balance trubisky like you said has made better decisions in general over the past few weeks but we're gonna need even more than that we're gonna need production out of the defensive backs right kyle fuller Eddie Jackson, those guys, if they get an errant pass, which is unlikely, (laughs) Rodgers is not just throwing it around the yard, nor has he been all year. His touchdown to interception ratio shows that. Yeah, he has, you know, you can count them on one hand. Yeah, he's got
1: four interceptions.
2: Right, unlike the touchdowns, which you need, you know, uh, five sets. You need all your buttons.
1: Yeah, you need (laughs) five
2: sets of of ten fingers, right? That's that's not even funny, right? But if they get that or they put themselves in that tremendous position or they get a tip or a carom, they're not going to be able to drop it. If you drop it, it's over. You need to give yourself the extra possession and take one away from them. You need something great to happen on special teams. I think about the fortuitous Walter Payton game with the Brian Robinson block of the field goal. You need something like that. You need a, a you know a great Cordell Patterson return. Uh, you just need some crazy breaks to happen for you to be able, like you said, to slay the dragon Um They're going to have to play very, very well. It would be great if they were to be able to get out to a lead that doesn't in any way guarantee them anything, but that would be the best case scenario for them starting off. If they start off down two touchdowns in this game, that mountain looks extremely difficult for them to
1: climb. I think all you have to do is you got to watch that Titans game that just happened with with the Packers. And I know it was snowing, and conditions were what they were, and the Packers all of a sudden had a power running game. I don't know where that came from, but okay,
2: <laughs> Boston College. <laughs>
1: but but you watch that game. The Titans are the idealized version of the current iteration of this Bears offense. The Titans are running that offense to about its ceiling. They're running it with a great running back. Uh, really good offensive line an incredibly efficient quarterback some really solid weapons in the passing game that titans offense it has been really good it's been a a a yardage machine and a, a points machine it's been very steady consistent they don't panic when they get down and they're able to chunk their way back into games i've seen them do that a few times this year they got down early and it was over there was a point where uh, Rabel decided to punt from like I don't know what was it the forty or something like that, the plus forty. And I was like, "What are you doing? You have to go for this on fourth down. You're playing the Packers. They're gonna blow you out." And they kicked it into the end zone. It was like a thirteen yard net, yeah, or something like that. And it's like that's that's what we're talking about. Like you no, know, you can't you can't punt on fourth down if you're near midfield. Like you have to be aggressive. You can't. Uh, you know, you can't kick settle for field goals. You're going to have to score touchdowns. Like this is one of those games where, no joke, you're going to have to play pretty near perfect football. And when you when you have that kind of pressure, it, it you know it's one of those things, right? Pressure makes diamonds, or it you know crumbles buildings, <laughs> right? So it, it's just one of those things, like. I'm, I'm very worried because I feel like I've seen this movie before and I don't really want to pay money for a ticket to the movie that I've already seen. But I'm really curious from a football perspective, how is this new look hot bears team going to look against real legitimate competition?
2: Yeah, and this comes down to something that a lot of Bears fans said in the offseason, and I think Bears fans say every year, and rightfully so. They said, we want to see our football team play a meaningful game in January. And this isn't what they meant, but I don't really care. This is very meaningful football. This is when you're in football in January. Your team, despite a pretty solid losing streak in the middle of a very weird year, is playing a very meaningful football game in the last week of the season against your rival in the division for all your own marbles for again, we've said it over and over again, a chip in a chair, you win this, you get a chip in a chair. Right, and again, you're a hot team. You're peaking at the right time. Wouldn't it be fun to have the Bears in the playoffs and see how far they could roll? Do I think they're gonna knock off the Dragons? Do I think they're gonna tip over the Juggernauts? Are they gonna beat the Chiefs? Are they gonna, you know, wipe out the Packers? Not likely, but wouldn't it be fun to see a hot team rolling into the playoffs? And that's all the Bears have wanted. So you might not have wanted this, Bears fans. Right, You might bemoan the fact that this is against the threshing machine that is personified right now in Aaron Rodgers, but you are getting meaningful football in January. This, The last game of the year actually means something. Your football team did a good thing here. Just enjoy that part of it. Now, do I think they're going to win? No, but football is played for a reason, right? We can line this up on paper and say, you know, JB, it doesn't look very good. Right, their chances of victory here are small, but any number of things can happen. And I am no way wishing an injury on Aaron Rodgers or anything else. But if he goes out and gets rolled up on the second play of the game, oh, things change, right? You're again, you've got a hot team, it's early on, you're not down two touchdowns. Same thing if you, you know, you end up taking the re- opening kickoff and returning it for a touchdown that would be pretty fun so enjoy this game bears fans this is what you wished for and you got
1: it all right so the last game that the packers and bears played the packers were up 41 to 10 at the end of the third quarter bears scored a couple touchdowns late but this caused chairman of the board george mccaskey to call the guys to the carpet and say, you embarrassed us, fix it. So, question is if the Bears lose by two scores, I think it's probably gotta be two scores, it's gotta be more than a one score game. The Bears lose by two scores here and embarrass the Bears organization in Soldier Field on a day where they're gonna honor Gail Sayers mm. by wearing his number if they embarrass the organization and they finish 8-8, eight and eight, it doesn't matter if they back their way into the playoffs, right? I mean, is this... Uh,
2: you know, saying things like it doesn't matter if an NFL team makes the playoffs, regardless of how, because we talk about this all the time, right? The, those W's or W's, those Pro Bowl nominations, no matter how illegitimate, are still reviewed as he made the Pro Bowl uh a team backs in or powers in it's they made the playoffs or they didn't within a very short period of time within a couple of years you look back and you go was a playoff team and it doesn't matter if they had a better record than some other team that was a division winner and they didn't make the playoffs it's a non-playoff team so saying a team it doesn't matter if a team makes the playoffs is is tough sledding it it will matter optically and otherwise if you look at the big picture the only thing the bears could do that would truly matter in terms of long-term planning for the franchise is get into the playoffs and win a game like resoundingly right if they get into the playoffs and win a game and look good doing it that i think could make a difference anything short of that i don't care if it's a nail biter against the packers and you lose by three in the final minutes i don't care if you beat the packers by three in the final minutes and the cardinals win and you don't get in right i it's well if
1: you win you win you're in but
2: right but if if the bears lose by three and they quote unquote give the packers a good game it doesn't change anything right you were embarrassed you've lost to the packers twice at that point you had a good solid losing streak in the middle of the season that really doomed your season and you beat up on a bunch of patsies at the end of the year like you should have that's good but i'm not giving you extra credit for that and long term i'm not saying oh well i expect completely different results because of all the things we've talked about they're not settled at quarterback they're in a rough salary cap position they you know they don't have a great young core that's going to keep this window pride open for years. There's going to be a bit of a rebuilding here, no matter what, just based on financial resources. So again, do you want to start that with the uh, team, uh, the leadership team that brought you to this point uh, in terms of a GM and a, and a head coach? Or do you want to start over and say, build it the way you want from the foundation?
1: It's interesting it's gonna be interesting. I'm just, I'm very curious to see, like you say. Well, you make the playoffs. That's, but it's ugh, eight and eight. It's the seventh. Seed. Now, I think you have to that make the playoffs and
2: win, right? I at this point, I and and not by like, oh, they got really lucky, <laughs> or oh, the other team's star quarterback didn't play. Like, I think you need to get into the playoffs and win the first game, just the first game, sure. des- decisively. And if you do that, okay, now we have consideration that, you know, maybe we can quote unquote, run this leadership team back. I don't think I'm solidly on record that I don't think that's the best choice, but I'm also a realist and realize that if the bears a get into the playoffs and win the first round fairly decisively, the optics of cleaning house after that are very difficult to do. Thanks for making the playoffs and winning a game, but we're going to fire you both. Like, it's not going to be particularly palatable, no matter what you said after that first Packers loss.
1: Plus, you'd be behind the ball with everybody else already interviewing the top candidates. So, agreed. That's always something to consider there. Well, all right. Well, quick programming note if the Bears, uh, Uh, breaks against them and they are not in the playoffs and then nothing happens front office wise we'll probably take a little bit of time to lick our wounds and and recover from the end of the season if the bears do win and they get or they back their way into the playoffs either way we'll be back next week we hope to be back next week to talk about a bears playoff game and so just just know that that's our plan going forward. But let's talk about these beers and get out of here. So New Glarus Cranbic. It is a very sour beer. I split it in half. before. <laughs> it sounds podcast. very sour. Well, you know, so you got yeah. the cranberry mm-hmm. sour going. And I, it, it's good. It's a very good tasting beer. But I split it in half with my wife, gave half of it to her before we started. And I'm really happy I did. <laughs> because I don't think I could have gotten through twelve ounces of it. It was that oh, it's just twelve. Huckery,
2: yeah. Interesting. I thought it was a bigger, bigger container, like a sixteen or a twenty-two. No, but, it's just uh, a 12-er. Wow. Yeah. No, it sounded Well, you said cran, and I was like, okay, where's this going? Is it gonna be like cran raspberry, something sweet, something? That, but you're like cran bic, like lamb bic, and I'm like, oh, oh, that's probably. I'm just getting that tart sort of feeling in my mouth listening to the description so I'm not surprised. Um, but that's cool that it has good character and that uh you enjoyed the flavor whether or not you think you could stomach
1: twelve ounces of yeah, it. Yeah, no, six ounces was more than enough. That's all I'm saying. It, but it was good. I like I liked it. Which is you know what? Uh Packers are really good at football, but I can't stomach right I'm you can
2: only take half much. of that i well, can really only take half yeah. yeah let's hope that both halves work out uh on sunday because boy wouldn't that be fun but um this brew from rubens i've had uh other beers from rubens they are well crafted i i like the play on words with the more ish ipa and i really like the balance in that even though those ibus are a little bit over the limit of what you might like um it does have some balance to it in some multi-character it's not um, just that pure bitter, that bitiness on the back of your tongue, a little bit of a warmer finish. So would recommend it, um, have been enjoying it. And, uh, yeah, let's hope that we get, uh, another meaningful show here, not just another meaningful game and that we can take on some of those, uh, heavier sort of celebratory Christmas beers in, in good spirits.
1: Yeah, or good spirits. I might have to bring on a cocktail. If I go to New Orleans, I might have to bring on a special New Orleans cocktail.
2: Absolutely, uh, and I would, uh, yeah, I'm fully in that camp of of having a good excuse to have uh, either good beers or, or cocktails. Um, and look, we'll probably have one either way. That's what we do on this show. And if they get beat and we have to lick our wounds, we'll still come back with something fun to drink uh, as we do this sort of postmortem. But let's let's hope we can put that off for a few weeks. You got anything else coming out this week?
1: No, but go read Jack's article about. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Life fascinating article he did a great job telling the story You got pat manley interview it uh, goes all the way back to george hallis and george allen very cool story so go list don't go read that on the website
2: yeah this is this is our colleague jack silverstein who uh a writer uh very talented bears historian among other things a very talented writer overall his article on windy city gridiron about the first long snapper with art by our pal will robinson whiskey ranger um it all comes together tremendous article jack's been working on it for a very long time Uh, I know the JB was privy to some earlier copies as well. Uh, so worthwhile read, uh, all kinds of NFL history from Hallis all the way up through Parcells, uh, in that article. So super, super cool. Check it out for sure. Um, I've got the bootleg football podcast. We'll be recording that tomorrow night. So that will come out later this week. Uh, it's been a bit of a push here at the end of December, but we'll be recapping our top three games and talking about a couple of trends as we wind up the season. Other than that, it is business as usual, but bears fans enjoy it. You've got a meaningful game in January, uh, against the bitter rival, whether or not you think that's a balanced thing doesn't really matter at this point bears win; they're in they control their own destiny can't ask for more in january so get yourself your favorite beverage line up for sunday and bear down